Welcome to Click, a podcast about people, property, and places. Today we are joined by the Attorney General of Queensland, Yvette Dar. Josh chats to Yvette about her upbringing, her life before politics, and her political journey to where she is today. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to Click Podcast. I'm Josh Kindred, your host, and today we're joined by the Queensland Attorney General, Yvette Darth. Thanks for coming in, Yvette. My pleasure, Josh. It's, uh, it's great to have you here. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a rock and roll intro, that, isn't it? It is. <laughs> I don't think I'm deserving of that. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. It's so good to have you here. Yvette, um, we're going to get to know you as a person. The, the obviously, the podcast is about people, property and places. Um, but firstly, tell us, um, what's it like to be the Attorney General every day? Geez, how best to describe the role of Attorney General? I, I think the word that uh, sums it up best is intense. Okay. Uh, really intense. Like, I love my job. Uh, I love the law. Uh, it's why I, I undertook legal studies many years ago. But uh, the role of Attorney General, until you get in it, you have absolutely no appreciation of the breadth of the role. You know, going from... Uh, giving advice on ladder safety and what toys should be in an Eka show bag. Yeah, wow. Uh, and body corporate and property law, you know, consumer rights, you know, uh, right through to dealing with the worst of society and the most serious of offences. So it can be emotionally draining. It's a, a roller coaster, really, in this job. Uh, but you also get to see how much of a difference you can make in people's lives, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Did you always want to be a politician when no, you were growing up? Well, what did, what did you want to be when, <laughs> when you were growing up? Uh, well, <laughs> I wanted to work with animals, so <laughs> go <Right>. figure <laughs> where I've ended up. But um, <laughs> no, I actually uh, I loved animals. I wanted to be a veterinary nurse, um, but I got distracted along the way. And, uh, you know, I um, one of these kids who sort of was still trying to figure life out and uh, you know, uh, got into a, a sort of a cycle when I was looking at getting, um, trying to do qualifications as a veterinary nurse uh, with, uh, you know, you needed to actually already be working in the sector to right. get into the course. Okay. To get in, you know, and to get a job in the sector, you basically need to have some qualifications. So it was really hard. And I never, you know, I never quite got there because I didn't know where to even start when yeah. I just came across these walls. I do, I did apply to work at Elmer Park Zoo when I was really young. Oh, very good. Um, so did about 200 other people turn up right. that day. <laughs> so I didn't get the job. <laughs> did you grow up? Whereabouts did you grow up? Um, so all over the place. So I was born Western Sydney, but we moved okay. up here uh, when I was still in primary school and um, briefly lived on the south side, but mostly north side of all my, you know, for most of my life. And um, and uh, yeah, I went to Redcliffe High out here. So you know, okay. that's that's where my true love for Redcliffe came from. Beautiful. And so so where's this love from animals? Did you grow up? Like, did you, you didn't grow up in rural Australia, so where did the love for animals come from? Oh, I don't know. You just, you know, as a kid, you certainly, you know, you have certain things you're drawn towards and I just um, loved animals. So, you know, it's uh, something that I always wanted to do, but, uh, yeah, went down a different path. 
So where does a, a young vet does, um, she leaves school, where, what does she do? What, what does it look like before you get into politics? Oh, look, um, it's it's been a long journey. Uh, I left school at 15. Look, not, not because I found school a struggle, but I got to, you know, the start of year 11 and like a lot of um, kids my age at the time, uh, you know, you could leave school after you got, you know, you were 15, you got your junior certificate uh, and I just sort of had a look around and thought, well, do I need to be here at school? I, I'm, I don't need to finish school. I'm not going on to university. So maybe the best thing I can do is go get a job, pay board and help mum and dad and just, you know, get out there and, and start earning a wage. And so that's what I did. I went home and said to mum and dad, oh, you know, I think I want to leave school and just get a job. And uh, I was down the, the CES the next day. Wow. Uh, and I think I had a job within a week. And so... What was the job? Uh, it was um, just an administrative job. Well, the first one was in McDonald and East. So okay. the... the Interesting story is my first job was McDonald East, the old retail store in the city, uh, which is now across the road from the the law courts. And uh, I was in the um, uh, the credit section, so okay. <laughs> I would have to look up the obituaries in the morning and cross check it against anyone who had a credit card. Oh wow! <laughs> and outstanding debt with McDonald East, yep. so that they could you know sort of cross them off and yep. all of that. So yeah, that was my first job. Wow, and so then, and I suppose leaving school at fifteen—that's um, quite remarkable to to see where you are today. When did you when did you go off to university and and I suppose start to develop further education? So early twenties, um, I had you know basically just fallen into administrative jobs uh, because that's where I was. That were, that's where I was pigeonholed. Uh, and this is one thing I say to young people now, like don't let other people tell you what you can do. I remember, you know, going into the CES and looking on the job boards and I remember pulling out one of and you know, people my age will remember this, you know, you'd pull the cards off the board and walk up and say I'd like to, you know, apply for this job. And one of them was an apprentice chef. And I still remember to today, you know, being told oh, no, that's not suited to you. Right. You're suited to administrative work. And so that's where I was told to go, go work in an office, even though it was one thing I never wanted to do was yeah. sit behind a desk and work in an office. And so um, that's, you know, I went off and I did administrative work and, uh, and it was only in my early 20s uh, that I started to look for other job opportunities and everywhere I looked, they kept saying, you need a minimum of senior English. Right. And so and it was as simple you, as that. Of course, you I didn't, have, didn't it. have it. I didn't have it. And so it was no big, long future plan of, oh, I'll do this and then I'll go to university and I'll get a yeah. law degree. It was as simple as I need to go back to law, I need to go back to night school. I need to get my senior English. And that's what I did. I went back. Um, I uh, enrolled at Kupu. Yeah, uh, state school where they had night classes, and I thought, oh well, I can't just do one subject, <laughs> and so I uh, chose English and economics, and twelve months to get my senior in English and economics, and then went on and uh, did TAFE, and uh, and then someone said to me, what are you doing? You know, you should go to university, and I thought, oh, 
I can't go to university. Yeah. Um, but uh, I thought, okay. So, again, I just fell into this mindset of, well, you're going to university, so you should do a bachelor of business because you're okay. working in an office. Right. And I signed up to a bachelor of business. One year in, I thought, this is not for me. This is not what I want to do. But by that stage, I had um, had the opportunity to work around the law. I was working in the industrial registry as a typist okay. in the typing pool. Right. And I thought, this is something that interests me. Law interests me. And I was encouraged by a work colleague to start a law degree. And I just thought, I'm not going to get a law degree. But if I can do one year, if I can say, I completed a year of law, how cool is that? And so one subject at a time, one year at a time, it was a 14-year journey from when I went back and did my senior at night school to when I did my Bachelor of Laws, then went on to the Australian National University, did my Graduate Diploma of Legal Practice and finally finished all my studies. It was 14 years of studying at night school at night. So, yeah. That's so incredible, <laughs> this, um, and I, I think so many of our young people probably in this day and age, and it, it feels like careers are always changing as well. What, you know, what pathway do we choose? What's the, what was the spark for you to just keep searching? Well, one thing that, uh, you know, I, I, I got bored in jobs really quickly uh, because I just couldn't find something that I was really passionate about. And so even in a workplace, I would learn a job and then go, can I learn that one? And can I have a go at that one? Yeah. And I was so clearly, you know, in hindsight, I was searching for something that would ignite some sort of passion. Yeah. Uh, And then I found the law and I just thought, this really interests me. Uh, And and so, you know, my advice to young people, to anyone, mature age adults, is, you know, don't do what someone else thinks you should do. Uh, do something that you enjoy because we, you know, most of us have to work in our lives. We, yeah. we have to pay bills. We have yeah. to put a roof over our head. Uh, and so if you're going to spend that amount of time in the workforce, find something you enjoy. Don't go to university simply because someone tells you you should. Yeah. Uh, go there because it's a means to an end because that's where you want to go. And so you finished your law degree. Uh, I mean, I just think... The, the resilience that you, that must have taken, where, where did that come from? I mean, to, to leave school at 15 and, and keep going through, um, you know, different jobs that just didn't feel right, um, there must have just been an incredible amount of resilience to then go through 14 years of a law degree. Um, but what, was it was it hard? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Studying law where, is where, not where easy. Does, where, does that, where does that come from? Um, it's I don't know. Like, I... I I can only go back to, I guess, my own parents and just their work ethic, you know. Um, it, it was, you know, I've seen my parents work hard and struggle over many, many years and, you know, uh, there was never ever a discussion of, you know, go to the CES and go on the dole, right. you know. It, it's just I always saw my parents, no matter how difficult life got from time to time, you know, including living in someone's garage, living in a caravan, not something I generally talk about, but I did, you know. It didn't even dawn on me until I, uh, probably three years ago at a local event for homelessness that I stood there when I was having a, 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 talking about it on a stage that I thought, I was homeless at one point. It hasn't even dawned on me. It's funny, Um, there's (laughs) some of the most successful people that I've had the, the fortune of being able to interview in this podcast have 
have gone through those really, really low times. And I mean, not even necessarily low, just you would never have expected them to be in those sorts of situations to where they are today. And it, it is, you know, I, I say this to people all the time, which is, you know, if you want to go somewhere, if you want to achieve something in your life, you know, it, it isn't about who's the smartest in the room. It is about perseverance. It's about getting up each day and doing what you've got to do. And doing a law degree, I did mine externally. So um, because I was working full time, um, my husband was a shift worker, uh, I start, you know, I had children in the middle of doing my law degree and so juggling all that, I couldn't get to lectures. Uh, I lived, you know, um, 50 k's out of town and there's no way I could get to, to you know, university and mm. sit through lectures and I had to travel with work. So I did my entire law degree externally and so you'd have the big post packs turn up, multiple volumes of documents and you just had to force yourself to learn uh, and just get that assignment done. Get you know, get um, get to those exams. Just do what you got to do. And so it was never let myself get overwhelmed by what was to come. It was take one subject at a time. Just pass this exam. Yeah. Get this assignment done, and then just keep going. It's incredible, an incredible story. And so, tell me now, how long have you been in politics? So I've been elected member uh, 12 years now, okay. actually this month. <laughs> wow. And I mean, obviously, all the perseverance and resilience over those years have, have um, positioned you well to do an, an incredible job for, for such a long time in politics. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty wishy-washy type of environment, politics. There's people in and out and there's all sorts of agendas. Um, you, to me, seem like somebody that's, that's sort of been really consistent. Well, I try. I mean, for me, um, being honest, having integrity is core to me. Um, when people question my integrity, I take it personally. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, I've, I've said to so many people over the years who want to go into politics, who, you know, have put their hand up that, you know, the best thing you can do is always be honest. You won't necessarily get a great response by being honest because sometimes people don't want to hear what you've got to say because sometimes you have to say, I can't help you with that. Yeah. Sometimes you have to stand up in a hall full of people at a candidate's forum and say, no, no, I'm not going to promise you that because if I did, it would be false. Right. I would be just trying to get your vote be and knowing I can't deliver on right. it. You've got to be honest because if you don't, you will eventually get tripped up. So just having you know that belief in yourself um, and the strength to be you know honest but you know to be sympathetic and to empathize with people's circumstances and still to listen and to give whatever guidance you can or whatever assistance you can um, but yeah resilience you need it in this job yeah. because it's brutal it is absolutely brutal and you know people want to tear you down um, you know when it comes to election times it's the best way to describe an election is that every three years uh, someone taps you on the shoulder and says, you've been doing a great job, <laughs> but we want you to reapply. And by the way, there'll be a bunch of other people who are wanting your job and uh, the interview process is their job is to discredit you. 
and to say why you shouldn't be re-elected. Because once you're the sitting member, you know, the mission of everyone else is to say why you should get rid of Yvette and vote yeah. for them. Yeah. Uh, and I by love the way, how you're putting this. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's so true and it's so simple and it's so brutal. Isn't it, it? it is. And, and and if you're a federal member, which I was for six years, you know, the size of a federal electorate's roughly 100,000 people. State, it's, um, you know, around 39-ish thousand people. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not only do you have to say why you're better than everyone else, but you've got to convince, you know, uh, oh, roughly 20,000 people <laughs> yeah. to support you as opposed to everyone else. So it's not easy to do that. You know, and then there's a whole lot of factors you have zero control of um, when it comes to elections and what people are voting on. So all you can do, work hard, be yourself, and the rest is out of your control. Yeah, and, and to reconcile with that fact, I suppose. You have to reconcile with that fact. Yeah, you to know. give your all. What is it that, I mean, with the brutal nature of politics, what it, what is it that makes you want to keep doing it? And, and maybe thinking back to what it was that made you even run in politics the very first time. It's making a difference, and I know that is so cliche. It is so cliche, but when um, when I first decided, because I had, you know, I never thought I'd be a politician. Yeah. Um, this was not the career path I thought when I left school at fifteen. Um, if you asked me at fifteen what a politician was, I probably couldn't have answered <laughs> it for you anyway. So, um, it, I had the opportunity to work overseas, um, and while I was overseas in the states and Canada, I had the opportunity to. Really, you know, um, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. <laughs> you step back and you get to observe what's happening because uh, you're out of your normal work environment and the hustle and bustle of every day. And so you just stop and you get to observe. And what I observed is a whole lot of decisions being made in Australia that I didn't like, that I, um, yeah, I'd, I'd already enjoy, uh, joined the ALP and, and was politically active, but that was to support other people and to support Labor and government, right. but not for me to ever be a politician. But what I saw was there were things happening and decisions being made um, that I thought, this is not the future I want for my kids. This is not the Australia I want for my kids. We are going down the wrong path. We're not being willing to support the most vulnerable in our community and and so, you know, I came back from overseas and sat down with my husband and said, I think I should run because I, you know, I think that having someone like me who left school at 15, who's yeah. just a mum, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's a hard worker, who knows how much of a struggle it is to just pay the mortgage and to try to juggle study and work and kids and, you know, shift working husband and everything else, I said, maybe we need more people like me in parliament to have a voice and so it was that simple um what's kept me there is the amazing people i have met uh in this job uh that inspire me each and every day our volunteers our you know community people our trainers our teachers our you know everyone out there who makes a difference in someone else's life and that i can actually help make their job easier yeah and that must be so rewarding as well it is. It's, it's just I get stopped on the street by people who just say, you helped me five years ago. I just want to thank you wow. so much. And that's, making, that's the making the difference, isn't it's it? It's what gets you out of bed in the morning. Yeah. You know, you're able to push past that negativity yeah. that happens out there generally about politicians and just go, no, because I know I'm making a difference. And as long as I'm getting out of bed 
still trying to make a difference, not hitting that cynical wall of what's the point, yeah. you know, and just, oh, well, I'll sit back and just earn the wage and, you know, as long as I, I believe I'm still able to make a difference, then it's worth doing it. Yeah, excellent. Uh, you mentioned that you joined the ALP. T- tell me, uh, I'm, I'm always interested in this with politics, how do you choose a party? I mean, what makes you choose a party? Because when I grew up, you know, my family was was um, was always blue. You know, it was always liberal. My grandparents is liberal, liberal, liberal. And now I, I start to look at politics differently um, and more about policy and the people in the certain areas. And I, 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 I don't look at it just as a colour or a party. Um, and I don't know, I probably sit somewhere on the fence. Um, but what, how do you? Yeah. How did you choose? You know, what made you choose to to go into labour and yeah? Well, I, and I, I should say in response to that, Josh, like more more people sit on the fence, you know. Um, and all I ever ask, of course, I want people to vote for me, <laughs> but all I really want is that when people walk in to cast their vote, they know why they're doing it. Yeah. To be informed, know who these people are on the ballot paper. Who do you want actually running your state and your country, but who do you also want as your local member and being your voice? And as long as you can answer that, who is this person? What do they believe in? What have they done? What are they wanting to do? Mm. Um, And that's why you're voting. That's a good thing. Um, But um, for me, politics was never discussed at home. You know, it just, you know, wasn't, you know, wasn't part of, you know, everyday life and... I, you know, never knew how my parents voted uh, and knew nothing about politics for many years. Um, but through my employment and becoming an industrial advocate um, with a union, uh, which is often seen as a, you know, one of those bad words as well, you know, working for a union, I got more exposure to different workplaces than I think most other occupations would ever allow because I could walk into a hospital a retail store, a major construction, you know, um, site, uh, you know, a, a brick, um, you know, paving factory, all these different councils, I, lo- I looked after councils for a while, all these different occupations and meet so many diverse people. But fundamentally it was about helping people in their workplace, yeah. you know. And so it was easy to get that compassion about helping people and I loved that job. Like, I loved that job so much as industrial advocates because I got to help people. And so um, it was sort of a an easy step to then go, well, actually, you know, the Labor Party does a lot to help working people. Yeah. And, you know, what's this party all about? No one forced me to join. No one said, you must because you work for you and you must join the party. Um, I was given my own time to make my own decisions, but I thought, yeah, I want to get active. Just just helping people in the workplace is great, but I want to do more and right. I want to get active and I want a government that's going to help those people as well and us having good laws to help those people. So it, it just was the next natural step at that point to say, well, I'll become a member and as I do, overcommit myself and go, <laughs> oh, I think I'll throw myself on every policy committee and get involved everywhere and, yeah. you know. But it was great because I learnt so much. You're, um, it, it's amazing how I think that you're right, people do now start to sit on the fence and 
then it's this question of how do we actually get to know our politicians? I mean, a lot of the politicians I've come across, they do want to make a difference. They, they genuinely go into it caring, you know, wanting to, to do something for the people. Um, it does. It starts to become about something else. And, and how do we open up that dialogue and the conversation to understand, well, who is it that's representing us? Because so much of the media and everything is so channeled around agenda. Look, it's it's hard and, uh, you know, you would think the internet, you would think social media opens up opportunities to communicate more, but I think it puts a lot of pressure on um, on trying to respond to your community because you've got so many avenues. I think back at what it must have been like to be a member of parliament, either state or federal or local government for that matter, but local government's always been at that really grassroots level, yeah. but, but, you know... Um, what would it have been like 30 years ago to be a member of parliament who the only correspondence was mail and a yeah, phone call and a phone, you know? And um, at compared to today where you're getting emails, you know, you're getting um, private messages, you know, uh, you're getting text messages, you're getting people posting on, you know, um, you know uh, well, writing. I get some letters still. Uh, <laughs> we still have, you know, um, letter writers, thank you, in, in Redcliffe. Um, but it's just the different avenues. Um, what I try to do is just get out there and be part of the community, um, attending events in the community, uh, going to where the community is, you know. I live locally. Uh, yeah, I get stopped shopping, grocery shopping, you know, cinemas. It's uh, funny, I think the last time I went to a movie, I, the woman next to me went, why do you look familiar? <laughs> do I know you? <laughs> I often get that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and so it's just about putting yourself in a position that you are open to the community. But it's how do we get past that cynicism? Mm. Uh, I did a, a mobile office just last week down on Redcliffe Pride. Walked up put up a card table, put my stuff out there and just stood there for a couple of hours, just there for anyone to talk to. Um, but then people walk past and go, oh, there must be an election happening. Right. And I said, no, the election's not for another year away. Oh, well, why are you doing this? Because I can and I should. Yeah, no, and I, I just <laughs> think oh, it must take so much courage as well to put yourself out there in that capacity day in, day out. Oh, yeah. Uh, but people think um, we are under attack every day as politicians. Now, we are from mm. some mediums uh, and social media is certainly one of those. Uh, uh, but it's not the case that you know, people come up to me every day angry or abusive. Yeah. But that's rare, you know, um, which is a good thing. You know, people come up and they're respectful and even... You know, even when you door knock or you call people and, and they don't support your side of politics, most of the time they say, no, not interested. And I said, okay, you have a lovely day, you know, and, and you move on. Yeah. Um, and you respect that, you know, it, that's, they don't want to have still, a That's still courageous though, Vat, and, and I think to do that day in, day out um, must take an incredible temperament because it, it's then your choice to, to understand those people and still care about them. What's it like? Where does the Attorney General live? You know, you, you, you're part of... I mean, I think it's a really important role. You're, um, you know, sometimes I think there's that disconnect between our politicians. They're powerful or whatever it might be. You know, 
what, what's your property journey been like? You leave school at 15, um, yeah, you have kids, you know, do you live somewhere really fancy or? Well, look, I've got a nice home, yep. you know, um, but I've worked hard to get that nice home. Um, one of my opponents once posted on a Facebook that, uh, oh, look at what taxpayers are paid for, look at her, you know, you look at her house, um, which, you know, I'm happy to take criticism but criticise the policies and the decisions I've made in yeah. my job. Don't attack people personally. You know, everyone's got a right to own a home uh, yeah. and we all strive for that. Uh, and to criticise someone's home because, oh, look at where she's living compared to other people. Um, I've got to where I am, uh, not because taxpayers are paid for it, but because I've worked since I was 15 years old. Uh, because I worked really hard. It's not the first home I owned. You know, yeah. we, um, you know, when we first moved out, my husband and I, we, we you know, rented a, an apartment and saved up our deposit and we bought a block on the highway. Yep. <laughs> you know, next to the highway at Moay Field. Okay. Uh, it was our first house. Um, and, uh, you know, it, uh, it cost us um, $119,000 to build. Uh, and, you know, we worked hard for that. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the best position. You know, we were next to a highway. You know, the Sunday afternoon you set the chair up and you would watch the traffic go past and you could guarantee there'd be an accident on the highway. <laughs> you'd hear the screech and the bang and oh you'd no. watch everyone back, bank up and that would be the Sunday afternoon, you know, um, watch from our... Um, from, you know, our back window. Uh, it's um, so it's been a long journey, you know, and uh, and you know, I uh, I'm happy where we are now. Uh, do I own ha- multiple properties? <laughs> this is the is, only is property I own. So I, I I sometimes wonder about that because it, there there has to be such an open book on the properties that politicians own. I mean, there's, there's got to be this huge amount of transparency. Does it stop you wanting to engage in investment property? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And that's, that's an incredible personal commitment to put your personal – in a lot of ways you put your personal wealth and your, your personal investment aside to, to keep doing the job, that you, to keep making a difference, as you said. Yeah, look, um, we get scrutinised very closely, uh, everything we do, which is, you know, appropriate – um, there's got to be transparency. You know, we all have to put in our register of interest and what we disclose and and what properties we own and what assets we own, right down to our kids. Mm. You know, um, do our kids have incomes? Wow. Uh, and you know, and our husbands. And uh, so it's not just what's in your name, what's in their name, what, whether they have bank accounts, whether they have income, whether they have, you know. So you you disclose a lot. Um, when you put your hand up for politics, you better be ready to have your entire life exposed to to everybody. Um, I, th- I don't think that the general public understand that that amount of transparency and that exposure that that you carry every day. No, and it's um, but but it comes with a job because understandably, you know, we. Uh, we are there serving the community uh, and uh, we are elected members of parliament and they want to know who we are and, you know, we, we need to have uh, that accountability around all those issues. So it is important. Yeah. You mentioned before when you spent some time in Canada, it allowed you to observe Australia through a different lens. Um, you, you mentioned that you are just able to observe different things that were happening. What, what are some of the places that you've been around the world that have helped inform um, some of the ways that you now um, see Australia and the way that we need to, to be behaving better? 
Well, I think um, one of the main things for anyone who's travelled knows that we are a very fortunate country mm. and we have needs. Uh, we have needs in this community here. We have people living rough, we have homeless people, we have people suffering from domestic violence and mental health and addictions and a whole lot of issues. Um, but we have a great health system in this country uh, that we should value and we should hold on to. There is always room for improvement. We have a great education system. To know that there are people around the world, there's young girls in other countries who can't go to school, who can't get the basic health care, um, that you know, we need to value what we've got. We need to value our environment because when you look at other countries and you look at the pollution and everything else, you know where you can end up. And, yeah. and so we need to take action on all of that. Um, but at the same time, uh, you need to you know, look at other countries and go, well, what can we be doing better with the systems that we do have? Uh, because despite the great systems we've got, we do have people living in poverty in areas. We still have um, people who you know, in, in remote Indigenous communities who, you know, are going blind or deaf from, you know, curable diseases. So yeah. we all need to, at all levels of government, be working together uh, to solve some of these problems uh, because they are fixable and we all have an obligation to address them. Yeah, I think uh, what, an, uh, what an interesting perspective to think that we we live in such a lucky country and a fortunate country, but that there's still people suffering from things that they, they really don't need to or, or shouldn't be in this country. And that's, you know, when we when we talk about homelessness here, it's understanding that there, there are reasons why people are homeless. Mm. Uh, you know, you don't, you know, it, but it is easy to become homeless. You know, yeah. I've... I've you know, I've spoken to the families, you know, not unlike the situation, um, you know, I've been in where it's as simple as, you know, if there's only one breadwinner in the family and they lose their job and you're in a rental property, you simply can't pay the rent anymore. What two, happens? Two pay packets away from homelessness. That's, I mean, th- that's, that's a right. common That's a common um, position for a lot of Australian families. Absolutely. So it's, it's you know, that... That side, and so the importance of jobs is critical. Mm. You know, how do we get people into jobs? How do we support them, get them skills and training and reskilling and getting them into jobs? Because jobs are critical in just having, you know, a roof over your head and being able to, you know, support yourself and, you know, having that self confidence in yourself. So, uh, training for me, because of my own journey, is just one of those passions that drive me. How do I make sure that other people get the opportunity to get trained and into jobs? The opportunity, it's so important. What's the, what's the favourite place you've ever travelled to? Um, I love snow. Okay. <laughs> I love snow, <laughs> coming from Queensland. Yeah. Um, look, Canada is beautiful. Um, snow is beautiful. Um, if you ask me, you know... Um, childhood memories and everything else when it comes to travel um the one thing that the one thing i can do to completely unwind is go camping okay and so many people go oh no i'm not a camper and yeah, i mean yeah. real camping i mean right you know, in the bush yep. you know a solar shower you know hang it from a tree yeah hanging from um, a tree just 
there's nothing better That's to cool. be able to completely switch off. And if you can find a place that hasn't got phone reception, reception. even better. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, so we've got a, a snow-loving bushy that likes camping. Why do you choose? Why do you choose to live in Redcliffe? Why do, what do you love so much about Redcliffe? Well, when we um, uh, when we moved to Redcliffe, because I've you know obviously lived out here when I was um, uh, in high school, and then moved away and and came back with my husband and kids. And the reason why we chose the peninsula, um, and it was interesting because it was my husband who coming to events with me as. The, the federal member at the time, said, I can't believe the community spirit out here. Like, it's just so strong. You yeah. would think you were a little community town yeah. because it's just so strong. These community groups and the connections they have and how everyone knows everyone. And um, we just thought, what a great place to raise the kids. Uh, and it is a lovely place that we can live and raise our kids and they can go to school here and it's just beautiful. Like, who wouldn't want to live at Redcliffe, honestly? Yeah, yeah. Best place in Australia uh, <laughs> and the world. Very, <laughs> very good. You're, um, you talk about those community events. I don't know how you get to so many of them. How do you find the time? Yeah, do pe- People don't have any concept of how much you actually have to do, do they? Um, and and do your job as well. Probably not. Um, look, it is a balancing act being a minister nowadays because I have ministerial obligations as well as to your local community. But I also hope that through my role as a minister and as the Attorney General that I can also help my community more through that role. Um, but it's, look, it's a challenge, you know. Um, I've attended more events at other people's kids' schools than my own. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the ones who make the biggest sacrifice are my, my family because the kids have had to, you know, not have mum at certain events at school and important nights and, you know, it's it's hard, you know. You get that phone call when you're away that, you know, your kids hurt themselves and got their first lot of stitches. Um, as a mum, it tears your heart out because yeah. I have to say as a – as a female, as a mother, we are fantastic at at mother guilt. Uh, so trying to just be in the workforce, this isn't about being a politician or a minister. It's just juggling working full-time and having kids and trying to be a good parent. You beat yourself up every single day about it. But I wouldn't be a happy mum if I wasn't working because right. I need to work. It's what I do. I just – I need that. Um but, um, and I hope that makes me a better parent because I hope I'm teaching my kids what it means to have a work ethic and, and to want to go out into the world and make a difference. Yeah. Um, but it is, um, you know, my, my family always laughs, you know. Uh, they, they, you know, say, we'll just put the core flute up on the wall so we can all <laughs> remember what mum looks like. Uh, <laughs> now that a minister, I'm on, I'm on TV a bit more, so it's, look, kids, you know, <laughs> see yep. mum. Mum's on TV. We're going to see her this week, yep. so, you know. Uh, when the kids were young, they would come with me to a lot of events. Okay. Uh, that was me trying to have mum time. Uh, the, the number of school carnivals my kids went to that wasn't at their school <laughs> is hilarious. It cost me a fortune <laughs> to take the kids to all these school carnivals. Um, but, um, you know, it was my way of, one, showing the kids why they don't get to see mum much and yeah. hope that they appreciate what I'm trying to do. 
uh, but secondly, just to spend time with them. But now that they're <coughs> 17 and 19, it's, yeah, no thanks. Yeah, no thanks, Mum. <laughs> you can go to that. You um, can go in, to that. In fact, I think my daughter recently said, um, you know, might have mentioned the suitcase in the corner and uh, are you going somewhere? I said, no, I've just been away for three days. And she went, oh, were you? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Don't they, even notice uh, me missing now. Are they, are they um, courageous and... Um, I suppose inspiring in the same way you are. Uh, look, I, um, I I hope so. I, you know, my kids are good kids. They've um, they've grown up and growing up into young adults, and um, you know have a good group of friends. And you know that's all you can ask for is you know uh, it's it's amazing how many people go. Oh, what are you? you know, are you kids at university? Um, my kids are still figuring out what they want to do with life. And I'm right. okay with that. As long as they're not sitting on their backside doing nothing, uh, as long as they're either working, studying, you know, or for, you know, go travel. But guess what? Mum and dad's not paying the way, yeah. you know, for you to do that. You need to go and work uh, and support yourself because that's how you learn what life's all about. So uh, it's really just trying to... Um, support them in whatever they want to do. But they're good kids and I know they'll, you know, go on to do good things in You're the future. You're a proud mum. Yeah, proud mum. I bet it's been wonderful getting to know you as a person. Um, you left Redcliffe High School at 15 and you're now the Attorney General of Queensland and you're making a difference. Thank you so much for joining us on Thank Click you, Podcast. Josh. Thanks, Yvette. Thanks for listening to Click. If you want to keep up to date, make sure to subscribe or sign up for our mailing list at clickpodcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, fresh pod every Friday, blog post fortnightly, video content weekly.